We there yet? We there yet? The podcast with Rich Kiamko. Ah, that's me. (laughs) Okay, welcome. Hi. I'm Rich Kiamko. Welcome to WTY, We There Yet podcast. I'm here. I'm so excited to be here in the home of Kevin Meany. Kevin Meany, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me on your very popular podcast. <laughs> well, you're going all around the world. Yeah, it's going about three feet out your window. <laughs> all right. Uh, Kevin, uh, you are. Uh, I'm so excited to be with you today. You're one of my icons. I remember seeing you on the Tonight Show. I was like in my pajamas as as a youngster. Like, okay. Like you but you were that was like the beginning of what? Yeah, you you've been on the Tonight Show like a dozen times. I don't think it was that many, but uh I was I've been on there a number of times. Yeah, yes, but yeah. you know, it always gets different uh as time goes on. Even with introductions, like you know, I just did an episode of Two Broke Girls out in uh Los Angeles a yeah. couple of weeks ago. How'd so that go? It went great, but last night when I was introduced on stage, you know, instead of taking that information and saying he'll be guest starring on Two Broke Girls, now I'm a part of the cast. <laughs> you know, when they always oh, just joined the cast of Two Broke Girls. <laughs> and, you know, it, the lies just continue. Like they will say, you know, I was in Hairspray and Broadway. He was in Hairspray and Broadway for 12 years. <laughs> it didn't even run. You know, it didn't run that long. How could I be? They're always just like they. they you know, the credit isn't enough. They have to embellish it. Right, right, right. He will now be covering for Obama. Yes, yes. <laughs> In the role of first first comedian slash lady. I don't, what, what, what would they... I don't know. I mean, I, but but we, aside from that, like, you have been... I mean, because We There Yet is about the, jur- I mean, the journey. I always love to... To, to talk to people about like the process like you started like what was what was the moment I guess you started when did you know like this is your calling well I kind of knew that very uh, when I was very young when I was like uh, 13 or 14 years old I uh, got a job at a country club in uh, not too far from where I grew up and they had a lot of celebrities there all the time Local celebrities and national celebrities. Jackie Gleason. Wow. He okay. uh, landed a helicopter on the Fifth Fairway and came in and he played golf. Johnny Mathis would be golfing there. Ed Sullivan came there to, you know, to, there were always people coming from New York because we were about 30 miles uh, north of New York City. And this was a, a great country club that I worked at. You know, since I was a little kid. Huh, what would you, were you like? A I started off as shagging balls. <laughs> I know that sounds dirty and bad, <laughs> but what, what does that involve? Shagging balls is you stand up on a hill, and uh, the golfer hits the balls at you, the golf balls, and then you you pick them up and put them in a pail, and you bring them back to the golfer. Wait, so you're picking them? Is it at a driving range? And you're just basically the the ball picker? That's. I think it's against the law now. <laughs> I mean, this, aren't they just driving the <laughs> yeah. balls? They out didn't at have you? those machines back then, so they had little boys, you know, <laughs> collecting boys. the balls and then then bringing them back to the golfer. I don't, I don't think kids can shag balls anymore. <laughs> oh but I, I was a ball shagger, oh and then I God. went into the uh, the locker room and I shined shoes. Okay, and uh, with Freddie, Freddie was the uh, the head shoe shine guy. Uh, Freddie Reese, that was his name, little Freddie Reese. And he was there for like 50 years sh- wow. in his own shoe shine room. And then I became uh, a pot washer and a dishwasher. And because I got my working papers, I was there before. Wait, your working I, papers, were you, uh, weren't you, for, you're indigenous though. You were born here or? Yes, but you need working papers when you're a child to work. Oh my God. Well, how so old were you when you started? I was 14 when you're allowed to get working papers. So, so before that, you were just under the table? I was under the table, yeah. <laughs> I was uh, not literally. You were taking jobs from I other American adults. Yeah, so Americans. I, I kind of, uh, you know, I shagged balls, and I <laughs> shined shoes, and uh, then they brought me into the the club where I became the pot washer, and then the head pot washer. So I was like, you know, and then from there I started uh, decorating my pot room. I I, cl- I cleaned it. No, I did. I cleaned it up. It was a dirty, filthy pot and pan room. 
And I made it nice. I really did. I kind of, you know, and I, they had all these old copper pots, and I uh, shined them up. I hung them on the wall, and I, uh, you know, I made, and the chef loved me. He goes, oh, my God, this pot room is fantastic, you know. So they made me the head pot washer. So I cleaned all the pots, and then I became, then when the people were upstairs eating, you know, all the members, I would get my nerve up, and I would go up there, and I'd put on a clean, clean whites, and I would go up there, and uh, I would bring them down to my pot room. <laughs> Wait, okay. what? You just grab random people? You want to see my pot Celebrities room? I grab. I knew who they were. Bob Fitzsimmons, Greg Fitzsimmons' dad. He was, uh, he was up there, so I kind of became friends. I kind of, you know, snuck into that world, and I said, I sing songs. Would you like to come down to my pot room, and I'll perform for you? Now, these- <laughs> They were bombed by this time. They were like, you know, up there drinking all uh, night okay. long. So now this little kid comes up and says that he wants to sing songs for them in his pot room. <laughs> of, <laughs> who wouldn't go down there? <laughs> who wouldn't go down to the pot room to uh, to hear a a young boy sing songs? Sing songs from the pot room. That so I, you know, and I and I did these. I did this song on the Tonight Show. Uh, was the months of the year January, February, March, April? You know, and and they would come down. They would go, "Oh my God, this kid is insane!" <laughs> you know, and uh, so I would. So they, you know, they just became. Uh, they just thought of me as this lunatic kid that worked in the pot room after school, and mm-hmm. I worked there. You know, on vacations and on uh, holidays. Would they come and like, oh, what's your latest, your latest hit? Like I would just I would do impressions for them, you know. Then I got into the dining room a few years later, and I would do my celebrity impressions of the dessert menu. Ah, oh. we have Viennese chocolate cheesecake. Uh, we have uh, peach melba, and uh, they would be howling, laughing. You know, they'd just be. So, what was like your? What was like the one that they like uh, an impersonate? Like that was Ed Sullivan. I was just doing. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. But like so you would pull out. I, they would say, what, what do we have for dessert tonight, Kevin? I said, well, now, now. We, and I would just steal John Biner's uh, impression of uh, Ed Sullivan, you know. <laughs> and then Ed Sullivan came to the uh, uh, the country club, and he ordered a, uh, I'll have a VO on the rocks. VO. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just... There's certain things I remember about... Uh, wow, did you, do your, did you do it for him? No, God, no, no. Did you do it like at other tables? At other tables, back? I would do it. When he was there, I don't think he was. He was. On, he wasn't there that long. He was sitting out on the porch, and there was a it was a big party, and I, I went and I, you know, I snuck my way in there to get his drink water, and wow. I was like sixteen. Wow. You know, I, you know, back then I was bartending when I was sixteen. You wow. know, I was serving drinks. I was cooking. I was. I was doing all sorts of. Uh, Stuff in the in at the country club. And they, they lo- loved me. They loved you. Yeah, they wanted me to manage the country club. When I was twenty four, they uh, asked me to become general manager of the country club, and I said, "I'm sorry, but I'm going into the entertainment business." And I, and that's when I began uh, my stand up career. Wow. So though, so when they asked you at that point, had you done any stand up? I you had just done a little bit. Like I what was your first open mic? Horrible. Or absolutely horrible. Uh, Where were you? I was in Cleveland because I had went to uh, school for hotel and restaurant management. Okay. And then I got a job uh, in Cleveland at uh, for American Airlines Sky Chefs, who took care of all the food and liquor that went on all the planes. Mm-hmm. So uh, that there was uh, Saturday Night Live was big then, and. I wanted to get on Saturday Night Live, and Steve Martin was my favorite comedian. Right, right, I right. watched Johnny Carson every night, and right. uh, George Carlin and Richard Pryor. I loved all those guys. Right, right. So uh, there was a comedy club, or they had an open mic night at this place in Cleveland. I forget the name of it. And I went down there, and I did what I thought was stand-up, you know, not knowing, not researching anything, just going, I'm just going to talk about what I happened today, and I'm going to be like Don Rickles and... And uh, you know, insult people. <laughs> well, they kicked me out. I mean, I was, I was just, and I actually ran out of the club, and they were, they were like following me with, you know, brooms. Get out! Get out! <laughs> no. And that's when Stop. I, I wrote my uh, resignation letter, letter, and I said, "This is for me. You know, I want to, <laughs> I want to do this." 
And you I, loved the rejection. I, I don't know what I loved, but I it was the excitement of being of being on, chased. No, of being on stage. You know, even though I bombed, and I bombed for a long time. You know, but I I something about it that I liked. Wow. So you didn't even get like positive. No. No. Not even like your wow. No. Not there was nothing positive about it. <laughs> And so I was going to, then I was going to be, uh, my friend Daryl, uh, I said, I'm going to quit my job here in Cleveland. I'll come, I'll come to New York, pick you up and we'll go out to California and we'll become big stars. And so I quit my job, went back to New York where I grew up and, uh, you know, Daryl and I were best friends. So in New York, in like Westchester? In Westchester, yeah. Westchester, okay. Yeah. And, uh, I, I. You know, he said, Daryl, you know, we're going to we'll leave on January 1st or something like that. Well, the day before we were to leave for our big trip to become stars, he said he couldn't go, you know. And he has he's like the greatest radio voice. And, uh, you know, he could he could have done voiceovers right, and right. all sorts of, uh, you know, he had he has like one of these great voices, you know, and uh, he never did anything with it, you know. But, you know, he has, he's had a good career of uh working for a telephone company, you know, but his not secret, doing voice, just working for a he company. wanted to be a a comedian and oh. a voice guy, you know, but you know, he never never took the plunge. Right, right. But then so what did you do? Did you just get in the car? I alone? got in the car and I went myself. Wow. You know, so And you just drove and you said I drove to California. I knew some people in uh San Diego, so I I started there and there I knew the comedy store was there. Okay. And uh so I went there to open mic there, bombed. I have it on tape. <laughs> I actually have it on. I had a little micro cassette, and I still can't get through the whole thing. Now, I haven't tried to listen to it in years, but it's somewhere here oh in the house. Oh, my God. I have to find that. I, I don't even want it. But every time I, t I said, oh, I can listen to it now. It's 35 years afterward. It all floods back to me. I was going, oh, God. <laughs> this is the worst. <laughs> and my brother, But it didn't stop you. It didn't stop you. My brother Jack, he wrote one of the bits for me. And he's a great writer, my brother. He's written for me a lot. And it was the lobotomy kit. You know, it was the introducing a foolproof end to migraine headaches, daily stress and strain. It's new and it's easy. It's Pope Heal's home lobotomy kit. Simply shave your loved one's head using your electric razor. And then uh, your favorite words will be, what, huh? And, you know, it was, it was kind of like, you know, like a Saturday Night Live type of yeah, uh, yeah. thing. And uh, so, but in the middle of it, I forgot where I was. And I was like, oh, I, uh, and I couldn't finish it, you know, oh, and so, no. so, you know, I didn't, <laughs> so I just panicked and I, you know, I kept it on tape and it was <laughs> like, and then when you get to that part, you go, oh God, that was so horrible. <laughs> oh, why did I do that? You know? And, and then somebody gave me a card and said, why don't you go up to San Francisco? You can work every night of the week. You can go to the punchline on Sunday you can go to Lenny Lerner's Comedy Closet on Monday. You can go to the other cafe. You can go to the uh, the boarding house where Steve Martin recorded his album. Wow. You know, and every night of the week, there was a place to go to do a free show. So these are places that had a room. Yes. And they were, some of them were full-time comedy clubs. Some of them, uh, Holy City Zoo, you know, was a full-time comedy club. The other cafe, The Punchline. So I would just go to there and sign up, and I would do my, you know, my version of stand-up. But I became great friends with, you know, all these people that, you know, are still friends with me. We all kind of started off together. It was like Paula Poundstone and oh, Nora Dunn and wow. Jane Dornacker. Wow. And uh, uh, Kevin Neal and Kevin Pollack. Right, right. Uh, Michael Pritchard, Steve Pearl, yeah. I mean, J J Will Durst. Wow, you know, we, we all were so there all together. Just living there in this yeah, colony. I mean, there's so many more that uh, that just aren't coming into my head. But you know, Dana Carvey, uh, wow. Robin Williams, we were yeah, all course, there together in 1980. Wow. And you know, at these, and every time you go to one club, you know, the the other comedians would follow because you would do one show, and then it started getting more popular. So you would do one show here, you know, at eight o'clock, then go over to the Holy City Zoo at nine o'clock, and Right. We usually ended up at the zoo, right. you know, for the late night. And Robin would always come in, and and Jeremy Kramer was there. It was another great comedian, actor, extremely funny, you know, became my best friend. So uh, we just had this A. Whitney Brown was there, yeah, yeah. you know, from Saturday Night Live yeah. fame. 
he was a street performer, you know, and then got into stand up and there were just great, great acts. Wow. You know? and so you were in this birth this is like the 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 birth of the stand up, I guess. The birth that, of the stand up boom, you yeah. know, which was taking place in San Francisco, uh Boston, of course New York and LA, you know, and Chicago. You know, those were the the primary places to right. do, you know, to be recognized. Right. You know, so I went from San Francisco to Boston because all the Boston comedians came out to do the San Francisco comedy competition. Right. Lenny Clark and Don Gavin, Martin Olson. Right. You know, he was a writer for Lenny and played piano. And Ken Rogerson. But it was uh, Lenny and uh, Don that came out. And then they they said to me, hey, you know, you look like us. Why don't you come to Boston? There's a lot of work. <laughs> So they brought me back to Boston, and I started doing stand-up at all these places in Boston. Right. And then, you know, a few years later, I, you know, I said, okay, I'm ready to go to New York. Ah. And then I went to, you know, I finally came to New York and started working at Catch a Rising Star, The Improv, right. Caroline's. Right. I think, I don't even think Caroline's was open yet. Yeah, that was, you know. Caroline's at the Seaport. That was probably. No, before it was at the Seaport, it was, oh, at, it was on 8th Avenue. Oh, okay. And weren't they at 22nd Street or something? I don't know, but it yeah, was yeah, uh, yeah. it was like on Eighth Avenue okay. somewhere. It was downtown somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me. Sure. Wow. So then, so then you were working the New York scene, and what what was like the big? Was there a big break moment? What was this moment? Where you're like, I'm there. Like, we there yet? It was like, what what part of the journey? Well, I did. You wow. know, you started. Uh, you know, David Brenner had me on a show. Uh, that was the first like network. That was the. It was like a syndicated show that was on at eleven o'clock. You know, uh, before the Tonight Show, so it was it was an hour show, but it was it was on, you know, it, it instead of the eleven o'clock news, watch David Brenner, you know, mm -hmm. and then I got on the Tonight Show, and David was great, wonderful, you know, we were friends, uh, you know, I mean, I I just loved him. He was such a great, nice guy that really enjoyed what he did, mm. you know, and I'm so glad that I knew him and. Uh, you know, I had the, uh, you know, the pleasure of working with him and everything. Right. And uh, then uh, the Tonight Show saw me, and uh, uh, they saw you where? They saw me in Boston. The same night Stephen Wright got the Tonight Show out of Boston, I was in that audition with everybody else. Oh, okay. With Lenny and Gavin and Rogerson, Dennis Leary, we all did Jimmy Tingle. We all did. Uh, you know, the Tonight Show audition. And Stephen Wright got it, you know. And uh, so they, and he became an overnight sensation. It, it, you know, the first night he went on, he became like a legend. You right, know? right. Then they had him back like a week later. He did another, you know, amazing set, you know. So, wow. you know, with those two spots that he did on the Tonight Show, he became like a superstar of stand-up. Right, right. And then... But they saw me, the people at The Tonight Show, they were in Boston, and I just wasn't ready. And then they saw me in New York, uh, maybe a, a few years later, and, you know, when I went out to to California to do The Tonight Show. And, you know... And they saw a few years later, and they said, you're ready. The, the, yeah, but Jim McCauley was never, you know, he liked me. He knew Johnny would like me, but he uh, didn't understand... That I had jokes. He goes, you know, you don't have jokes. So, uh, you know, I'm really nervous about putting you on, you know. You know, Wait, you don't have... You don't have jokes because you were, you were doing crowd work during the show? Or no, just I was doing my material, but they were just... Uh, it was like this... He didn't think of... It wasn't a set-up punchline type... Format. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was... You know, I was a little you bit... You more character in a story. Yeah, more character-driven... You know, oh my eye, God! <laughs> gonna poke but, your eye but out. But you did that on the Tonight Show. Yeah, and That's then great. I and I did I did the months of the year on the Tonight right, Show. Right, right. You know, uh, and so Jim was always really nervous about me being on the show. And like the first time I went on, Johnny gives me the wink and the smile. You know, after my set, and then they go to commercial, and then he comes back from commercial and goes, "Yo, that uh, did Kevin split?" Did he, did he already take off? Let's bring him back. I want to talk to him. Ah. So then they reintroduced me. I went out, and I talked to Johnny. And he sat down. Sat down. It was, it was huge to sit yeah. down, because not everyone gets to sit down. That was my first time on with Johnny. Wow. So and that was your first time on The Tonight Show, and you sat it down? It was the second time I was on. I was First, I was on 
with Jay. Jay Leno was the guest host, and that was a year before. Okay. And I basically did the same set I did for Jay that I did for Johnny. Okay. The and following they, and year. They, and they tell you what they want you to do? Yeah. They go, this is the order, and this is what you're going to... They don't, you know, they just said, uh, I forget what they they said, but... Uh, they didn't go line for line w- with you. Like, they just said, do that thing. They just wanted me back on the on the show. Okay. And Johnny wanted Johnny wanted me on. Johnny kind of he loved stand-ups. He loved mm. them. He and he he always had them on, you know, from the beginning of his show till you know the his final shows. He was always breaking new comedians, and he loved them. He really did, you yeah. know. And I uh, you know I hate to be this old guy. They don't have them on anymore, you know. But he had a passion for them, you know. Right. And he would come into your dressing room before the show. You're going to do great. Oh. But, you know, break a leg, you know. Yeah, there's a bar over there if you want to have a drink. There's a bar backstage, you know. <laughs> you're doing you do a little so shot. Weird. You're doing you can do a little shot before you go on. The same bartender was there for years. Yeah. And I had written Johnny when I was the pot washer <laughs> because when I was 14, uh, Johnny moved from New York to L.A., and this crushed me. Oh. And I said, if... I can get on that Tonight Show if I wrote Johnny a le- if I write Johnny a letter, and I tell him I'm the fastest pot washer in the on the East Coast, and I'll take on his West Coast competition. So I wrote wrote him the letter, got the address, uh, Burbank Studios, sent it out to him, and never heard back from him. You know, you know, I didn't get anything from Johnny. You know, <laughs> so now, like twenty years later, now I'm <laughs> sitting on the couch with Johnny. And we go to break. I don't know if it was the first time or second time I was on or third. But I said, Johnny, I wrote you a letter when I was 14 saying I was the fastest pot washer on the East Coast and I would take on your West Coast competition. He goes, yeah. Freddie, why didn't we have this kid on back then? That would have been a great bit. You know, And Uh. so, I, you know, it was it finally came full circle, you know, where, you know, I finally got to tell him. Yeah. How great of a pot washer I was and how great of a comedy bit it would have been if I would have taken on, you know, you know, if we would have had a pot washing competition. Right, right, right. Because I really was good. I was in the pot washers union, 132E. Stop. Yes. Stop. When you turn 50, you, you get all your, all the stuff that you uh, have accumulated, you know, through Social Security and everything. And it shows you when you started working, you know. So, you know, I started working, you know, when I was 14. So I've been contributing to my Social Security since then. So it kind of gives you a list of all these places that you've. Oh my God! That you've worked. Wow! You know, so that was really, really interesting. <laughs> I love it. So, so now, so you told John that was like your third or fourth. But so at that point, how did that? Because in those days, there wasn't. There was only so many channels. So if you're on the Tonight Show, that was a big deal. Yeah, it was a big deal. And I still have people that remember, you know, those spots I did, you know. At right. First. There was cable, but it wasn't because uh, we I had done my first uh, HBO uh, One Night Stand. They did a series of those, which we did in San Francisco. And you were one of the first, the earlier, I right? Yeah, it was like one of the first series of One Night Stands. Right. They, they called the series One Night Stand. And... Uh, I was one of the, you know, Drew Carey did it. Uh, I forget who else did it, but I'm I'm sorry about that. But uh, we we all did these one night stands, and then they aired. But mine got aired right before, like a Tyson fight, or right after a Tyson oh. fight. And I was just it was like the law, of the you know, the the draw of the hand, you know, right. That right. you know they put mine on right after or before Tyson, and everybody saw it. They're going, this guy's wow. crazy. I like this guy, wow. you know. So I got a lot of publicity from that. And then I did The Tonight Show again with Johnny after that aired on HBO. But it wasn't as big of an audience as it is today. Yeah, you know? but and still, there you, you, you got the sweet spot for what that moment and in And not was. everybody had cable. You know, now right. everybody has cable. Or now people are getting rid of cable and right. there's a we're podcasting and we're streaming. <laughs> right, it's all streaming. You know, now. it sounds so dirty, doesn't it? <laughs> Taking a big podcast, streaming. You know? <laughs> You're loading. <laughs> yeah. So I don't even have cable anymore. I, I just, you know, watch uh, Netflix and YouTube. and Right, right. You know, I get my news from, you know, reading online 
right you i mean know, articles there's all this yeah yeah i'm doing this new project with bonco tv and that's like multi-platform i don't know roku right. apple tv and like it's i don't even understand yet what i'm doing but i'm shooting it yeah you know but uh so then at that point you did the tonight show a couple times and then you just what exploded into this tour of clubs around the country like what yeah, you just start doing you know uh clubs and uh then you know they uh i shot a pilot with joe flaherty from sctv and anthony newley what kind of fool am i you know and he was uh, he's a great actor too you know and a, a terrific songwriter right right and married to joan collins i think he was oh and, my uh, god but you know uh you know, was in great uh, in great musicals on Broadway, to uh, you know, to film, to recordings, you know, and television. So we did a a pilot. Uh, I think it was 1988, and it was me, Joe Flaherty, Anthony Newley, a few other people that I forget their names, and uh, it aired. You know, the pilot aired, and they didn't. You know, they didn't pick it up. You know. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was we Joe and I were we owned a fish of like a uh, Arthur Treacher's fish and chips franchise and and Anthony Newley was he owned the franchise you know so we had to go to him for you know and it was just it was weird and funny so I got that and uh, then I got Uncle Buck and yeah. th then I got the movie Big. Right, right. And that was 1988. Right. And I worked with Penny Marshall, Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks is still, like, you know, I'll see him. I haven't seen him in a while, but I remember, you know, running into him a few times, and he'll remember your name. Wow. He's like, you know, just regular guy. How you doing? Good to see you. And, uh, you know, just as, as you would want him to be. Right. Exactly. Right. You go, oh, my God. You know, like, like I work with George Went. You know, Norm from Cheers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Known for a great, great actor. But you would say to God, I'd like to meet him. I wonder what he's really like. He's exactly like, like that. Like that character. Oh, okay. You know, uh, and so is Tom Hanks, you know. Yeah. He's exactly what you want him to be. Right, uh, right. And there are a lot of, you know, actors like that uh, that are really nice, wonderful people. So mm. so that there's hope. There's hope. <laughs> hope. No, Saturday Night Live. How, when and Saturday Night Live too. How yeah. did that happen? That just came. Uh, I guess that was 1980. I, I forget what year that was, but Lauren liked me and brought me down for an interview. And I remember my dad, and uh, I said, "I'm not going to bring a resume and a photo in. I'm going to make a pie." And my <laughs> father goes, "You're an idiot." <laughs> Why would you do that? And I go, because it's different, Dad. You know, who would bring a pie to an audition? A pie to an audition? And, you know, with real plates and real forks and knives and, you know, no paper stuff, you know. I'll put it all in a bag and basket and I'll bring it in. Who wants pie? I thought it would be a <laughs> a great thing. And my father's going, why? Why are you? You're stu stupid, you know. But they remembered me and they liked ah. me. And then they said, we want you to be... Uh, the year before Sam Kennison was on uh, Saturday Night Live for a bunch of spots, you know, and that's what they wanted me to do. But it didn't work out. And, uh, you know, I we did uh, I was supposed to do my stand up on Saturday Night Live and I did it for the the run through. And then when uh, it went when the show went live at 1130 or, you know, whenever it goes on, I think it's 1130. They uh, cut me, at ah. the, but I was still in some of the sketches. But you were still in the sketches, like the Star Trekky. Yes, the Star Trek, and and that's all because of Dana Carvey. Dana would say, "Why? Is, why Kevin can do this. Kevin could do this," and he was just like this guy that just like, said, "Well, why don't we put Kevin in this bit? He was the greatest. Oh, you know, wow. he was so wonderful. That's so even so though generous. And they, and that's so generous, he could absolutely. Uh -huh. He's just like the greatest guy. I saw him last year and. You know, he's the funniest person alive. Yeah. And now all his sons are getting into stand-up. Yeah, yeah. You know. Now, so after that, you at some point, then you were in Broadway. Oh, that was and years later. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, then I guess between that and what you did, you were in Hairspray. I mean, I'm trying to think of. Because that's when we moved back to uh, New York. So, 
So we, I moved so out to point, L.A. in 1990. You were, and you were married at that point? Yes. I moved back to, I, in 19, when I got Uncle Buck, the TV show, in 1990, I uh, moved out to L.A. and, you know, kind of set up camp out there and did Uncle Buck. And I was, uh, you know, I had a lot of, lot of, lot of little things happening. You know, and big things too. You know, network TV. That's big. right, right. And uh, you know, my stand-up career, and I worked for HBO Entertainment News. I okay. They sent me all around the world, you know, to document things, and uh, and to sell HBO, you know, because they would have these, you know, they would open up the signal to show people what they had on HBO. Oh, so if you had regular okay. cable, you would get HBO for a week. And I would tell you what HBO had to offer. You know? Right, right. You're like an ambassador. Yeah. And so I, you know, would travel, you know, all over the place, you know, s- selling HBO. Huh. And they paid unbelievable money. It was unbelievable. It was like, I can't believe the money that they would pay me to do this so stuff. So you would you know? be speaking to whom? You'd just be speaking to... To people that, to, you know, they, they would tune on to TV and they would go, oh my God, we're getting HBO. You know, oh, so you'd be on. St- I'd be on HBO, be but it was HBO was was free for that week. And so you'd be like, "Hi, welcome to HBO. Yeah, come on board to blah blah blah." blah. You can see all these programs. You know, all these oh great movies that we God. have. You know, and then they would they would roll the movie in. You know. Wow. Okay. Oh my God. So then, what at what point? I mean, because there's this whole, oh there's the whole other uh, thing for me as a as a. As I'm a comedian who's openly gay, and I started off openly gay, and you had a whole other journey of kind of... Yeah. Oh, well, you know, that's get, a whole get into other, that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you were... Did you know when you were younger, and then you still married your wife, or was it sort of a... How, what was the process? Well, I always knew. So, you know, but it's just uh, something From the that, minute you hung the pots up, or what was the moment you knew? Well, I knew when I was, you know, when I was a young man, you know, when I was in a teenager... That I was, I like guys, you know, but I, it was just. But then in those days, you couldn't. You know, you just couldn't say it to anybody. You, you were raised Catholic, right? Catholic, and, you know, but a very liberal family, you know. Uh-huh. And I remember my mom, uh, you know, saying, you know, it's okay if you're gay, you know. <laughs> no! And I would go, I'm not gay, you know. Uh, what? <laughs> what are you talking? Because she worked with the gays at the library. You know, and oh. I was in, uh, you know, later on, as I got older, I did uh, a couple of uh, plays with uh, the St. Mary's Players in Yonkers. And a couple of the guys that my mom worked with were in the play. Oh, my God. Frank and Mark. And uh, Mark wasn't gay, but Frank was. And, and uh, you know, I met him. But it was still, like, the scary thing. You know, it was like, right, you know, I, right. Once you tell everybody you're, you can't go back, you know. Right. And it was just, right. and there's still just, a lot of shame around it. No, oh, so much shame. Total shame because all my friends were straight, and they were all, you know, had girlfriends, and I'd always go, you know, I gotta get a girlfriend. I, I, I gotta get a girlfriend, you know. And I, and I would, you know, I'd get a girlfriend. And I would go, this is the one. I'd love her. Then the next day, I would hate her, <laughs> you know. And I would just. <laughs> And they go, where's that girl that you were up with? Oh, no, she's a nut. You know, she was crazy. <laughs> so I went through all these girls, you know, and then never really, you know, keeping a relationship. So you're convincing yourself you could be with women? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You know, it was just. Had you been, had you experimented as a kid? I tried to, but, you know, uh, I had a horrible experience when I was, you know, very young with, like, one of my best friends, and uh, he was teaching me, showing, you know, telling me about sex and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he, we started fooling around. And then then he goes, I knew it. I knew you were a faggot. And oh. I'm going to tell everybody. And I was like, oh, oh, God. oh, God. oh my God. But he was also participating. I know. But he, like, kind of entrapped me. And now what throughout the, what the f- all throughout my high school career, you know, my high school years, I had to deal with this guy knowing that uh, that I – you know, tried to fool around with him. But he also was participating. That's so weird. It doesn't make any, doesn't you, make any difference. You had you the know. same shit on him. I know, but I didn't, you know. Right, right. But he was like, no, I'm not. You, you know. Yeah. So it just kind of threw, threw a curve at me. What happened to him? He's be- become a very successful uh, dealer and uh, 
I don't, I don't want to get into it. Oh, okay. I don't want to He's good at blackmail. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, anyway. Uh, well, we're not friends on Facebook. I'll tell you that much. Okay. <laughs> because it, it really bothered me. Right. You know, it really That's just, horrific. What an asshole. You know, and he's... So, I, you know, I just... I just couldn't... So then when I, you know, I finally, you know, started getting older, you know, and I, I you know, I kind of, you know, I, I, I knew New York was a big, you know, scene for the gay world and stuff, but I had to get away from everybody, mm. you know, so I moved to San Francisco, <laughs> you know, and... You went to San Francisco to escape the gay lifestyle. No, I went out there because I knew th that's where, you know, the headquarters for gayness oh, was. Oh, right, right. You know? that, that was originally the mothership. And so, you know, I would tell people I'm moving to San Francisco, you know, there are a lot of homos out there. <laughs> well, that's a, also a great city, you know, I would defend it, you know, there's a lot of things going on out there, you know. Robin Williams, he's out there, you know, Steve Martin, you know, big comedy scene. You know, a lot of queers, too, you know, <laughs> a lot of fags. <laughs> so I was like, oh, God, I, you know, I, and I was always convincing people that I'm not gay. No, I'm not. I'm not gay. <laughs> you know, or I'm, you know, I'm not a queer. All right. You know, so it was, it was always, you know, I would call people back in New York when they first moved out there and they go, what are you, what are you, queer yet? Um, you know, I go, no, it's a big comedy scene out here. So. This big comedy scene. Stop. So, you know, I was always <laughs> kind of defending myself, uh, of saying I'm not gay. But you, you were know? you were in the comedy scene in San Francisco. Were you acting out? On no, 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 so no. You were just doing comedy. So yeah. you you were also trying to convince yourself you're just going to do comedy. Right. So and uh, so you weren't like okay, this is a really big gay capital. I'm going to go. You're but not in the comedy scene. There was you know there were no. Oh no no. There were no gays. But you knew like okay, I'm not going to act on it, but I want to be in the middle of it. I wanted to, but, you know, as soon as I got there, I became friends with all these great people. Right. Who are still today my friends, right. you know. And, uh, you know, but it wasn't in the middle of, it wasn't on Castro Street or Polk Street. Right, right. You know, this was, you know, all the clubs weren't in that area, you know, and we didn't go in, we didn't go there, you know, to do shows on Castro Street or anything. Right, That, that right, was their right. own scene. That was a whole other thing, right. So we were kind of isolated, but then... You know, then as soon as I moved out there, then, you know, AIDS started coming into the right, picture. Right. So that was another like, oh, God, well, if you do that, you're going to you're going to die. die. Right. So you just kind of. So it's just you like just close that door. You just shut. Just went into that closet. You know, I, I, I did have a few experiences here and there. Oh, you did with other yeah. with other men. Yes. You and know, I, back when. I, but then I, I was like, OK, that that's it. I'm never right. going to do that. Again. You're like, OK, I can't deal with I can't do that. I don't want AIDS. I don't want to you know, I don't want to be shamed. Right, right. You know, and then Jerry Falwell's on TV. You're all going to hell, and you're right. dirty, and right. this is God's way of cleaning. And then, you know, not that you believe that, because then you have people like Robin, you know, getting up on stage and speaking, you know, like, can you believe what these lunatics are saying? You know, like, you know, you know, he was he was so, uh, you know, although he wasn't gay, he was just speaking up for right, right. human rights and, and rights that everybody should have, you know. Right, and, right. So you see that passion and you and all these liberal comedians like Durst and Jane Dornacker, who was like this great comedian actress, you know, that died way too soon. Uh, that were just speaking out, you know, for, you know, basic human rights, you know. Wow. Wow. So but I was still I'm not going to get involved in that, you know. Right. You right. Know, I'll so you, just so you just focused on comedy and like yeah. just put your head down and kept doing the. Really and then when I got to Boston, you know, that was like, you know, you know, we'll we'll beat up any fag out there. You right. Know? Right. If you're gay, we're going to kill you. Right. You know? right. Because it was just a different world. Well, there. Boston's so conservative, too. Like, just well, it, it, it really isn't. You know, it, it's a, it's you know, I mean, that's where most of your liberal politics come from. Right. You but know, from still, Boston. everything shuts at like shuts down at midnight or something. But, you know, there's. A different. It's a different. Uh, but they were still homophobic. They were liberal, but no fags. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. So you couldn't you couldn't act out there, because you know the the bullies from all the neighborhoods would go into the, you know, the gay areas and beat everybody up. Wow. You know, wow. So I was like, I'm not going to do that out of here. They were know? pioneers for gay marriage, but yet, yeah, you know, right. <laughs> so that was just. I'm not saying that's the way everybody was. That was just the way I perceived, you perceived it. it. Right. Right. So but you just. Hunkered down and did your like graduate studies in comedy in Boston. You just so, and then I moved to New York, and uh, you know because the drug scene was really you know just out of control there, 
I mean, everybody was doing cocaine, and it was just, I said, I have to, and there was a guy that, uh, the dealer, Mike, I'll just, you know, that was his first name, he got shot in the back of the head, you know, execution style, right, <sighs> you know? So one of the uh, comedians from Boston called, hey, Meanie, how you doing, bro? You coming up for the funeral? You know, uh, you know, is Mike's mother's going to be there, and, uh, you know, all of us guys are going to be there, you know, supporting the family and everything like that, so... Appreciate you know you should come up to the funeral you know pay respects to Mike. So I said you know I, I I'm not gonna go you know I mean I I like Mike, but I don't think it's a good idea to go to a drug dealer's funeral you know. Yeah, but you know he was a good guy, bro. You know, and I was like, yeah, I know, but I don't want to get wrapped up in all the, you know like if anybody's watching and you know paranoid. And so I said no, I'm not gonna go. Yeah, that's not good, bro. You got to get up there, you know. So I, I, and I know this comedian, he, he's not uh, drinking or using anymore, but I'm sure he doesn't even remember that conversation. Oh, right, because he was in a blackout talking to you. You know, so, uh, and he's, he's pretty famous, you know, so, uh, so I, I didn't go, and I just kind of stayed away from Boston. You know, oh. I would just go up there to do my, you know, stand-up, yeah. and then uh, now I'm going up there again next month, I think, uh, you know, and I, I love Boston crowds are the best. I mean, there's you, you don't get any any more vocal than right, uh, Boston right. fans. So I, you know, I, I kind of left Boston because of, you know, th there was so much cocaine and the, the 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 dealer would take over the dressing room and all the comedians would be lined up outside the dressing room waiting to go in to pick up their, you know, their coke for the night. Oh, my God. You know. And the and the owners of the club one one of the clubs, you know the owner he had uh, it was his drug dealer that com would come into the so the owner of the club would pay the comedians, and then uh, he would get all that money back through his drugs. <laughs> so his God. drug guy worked the door, and also sold the drugs, and so you would go there do your stand up get paid then give the money to the get drug right dealer, back. and. It was just like he would get everything back. And meanwhile, they would feed you with all the free booze you'd want. You know, the place would close down at three. And then you would just hang out there and solve all the world's problems, doing blow. And uh, and then, you know, at you know six in the morning, you would go home. You how, know, how did you get you, you got? I mean, you're you're here. You're together. You're I mean, well, you know, you I did blow in the back after I leave. <laughs> how do you keep? No, but there were people keep their lives but they, together. They, uh, these guys in Boston, they partied like I've never seen anybody party. They would, I would go to bed every night. You know, even if I just laid there and shook. You know, uh, but these guys, I would wake up ten hours later, and they would still be downstairs partying. Wait, if you went to bed and shook, what do you mean shook? Yeah, you know, just like I couldn't sleep. You know, or just be, you know, just uh, you know blown out of my mind you know it's, it's i i gotta get out of here i can't do this i don't want i don't want this life because i coke didn't work on me like it did on other you know like everybody else uh because it's like i'm on coke now because i'm i talk so fast and i right, have right. so much energy but once i what if i did it i would completely zone out i would just like because oh. i have adhd Oh. So it doesn't work on me the way it works on everybody else. So oh. I would just like totally shut down. I wouldn't say anything. <sighs> you know, where everybody else blah, 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 and I was like, like a, it didn't work on me. Oh. So I didn't, you know, I didn't like it. It kind of saved your life. I mean, you yeah. could have, you know, so many people OD and just Oh yeah, there were a lot of uh, you know, they got killed and they got, you know, they overdosed and, you know, whatever. So Wow. You know, the only thing it, you know, it enabled you to just drink more. You know, you can just, you know, so it was just, so I said, I got to get out of the scene. I just don't want to be in it anymore. Right, right. So I, I moved to New York. And <laughs> New York is so cocaine free. Well, I didn't, I wasn't in that circle, you know. Right. And so, I mean, right. I was hanging out with Joy Behar and Susie Essman. Oh, and, okay. And, you know, these, you know, these great ladies, you know, and, right. and guys so many, you know, gr you know, Lou DiMaggio, and I mean, I, I just, there were just wonderful, wonderful people that I met in New York, and I started working at Catch a Rising Star, and uh, Richard Fields and Cynthia Coe, they became my managers, and, uh -huh. uh, you know, so I, uh, I went with them, and I started doing 
all sorts of things. But I, I, I was glad that I moved out of Boston. Right. So at least you got out of that sort of Coke cloud and into. A but that, circle. but that was everywhere. That was right, all right. over the country. You know, Time right. Magazine said it was like this cool thing to do. Wow. You know, nobody. You know, at first it wasn't that. It wasn't a bad thing. You know, it was like you know, yeah, it's kind of. Uh, it's like a new energy drink or something. I mean, it wow. wasn't. It wasn't considered, you know, lethal or uh, or addictive. Wow! No, go back and look. Look at the research back oh in the early '80s. It was like, you know, hey, just came across this really cool new thing that everybody's doing. You know, you know, and uh, it's called cocaine, and you know, and used to be in Coca Cola, and it was like, wow, this sounds cool, and then. You know, there were all these people, you know, doing it. And uh, and this was even in San Francisco, too. You know, when I when I was out there, people were, you know, doing blow out there. You know, Robin, of course, you know, he had his struggles with it. And, you know, and I'd go, God, if I could be like him, I'd be a big star. You know, look how. But I would do it and I would like shut down. Uh-huh. There, there wouldn't be no fun. Right. You know, right. But everybody else, they were, you know, they're, they're coming up with all these great new funny things. And, <laughs> and for you, it was and just I, silence. I, it's like, I have nothing funny. There's nothing funny about this. <laughs> and did you get, like, paranoid? And I tried it over and over and over again, but it would never be the same results as somebody that did coke. Right, right. You know, so it wasn't a, it wasn't. So you just I wasn't getting the results that everybody else was getting. Right. So you ended up just what? Just sitting there and so you would like <laughs> I would sit there and I would I would I, I would have nothing funny to say. Oh god. So, so you just sit there and bomb. And so and that, that'll you know, kill a coke habit for for a comedian. <laughs> so it just wasn't I mean I'm glad because I didn't end up spending all of my money on right. Right. on that. So but uh, coffee, I like I like the coffee. <laughs> That's the pre-cocaine. Yeah. But so so now so you at some point married your ex-wife. How did how did you meet well, her? Well, I married uh, first. I married. Yeah, I was always afraid that I was going to be outed. You know, that was a big thing, outing people. You know, although I wasn't acting out on my gayness. You know, every once in a while I would, and I go, I'm never going to do that again. Even though I loved it, I go, I can't do that again. Right. Right. I was always afraid that somebody was going to, you know, you know, say that I was gay. And I I couldn't deal with that. So I said, you know, the only way to stop that in my own head was to get married. So I was going to a bachelor party in Vegas with a bunch of uh, friends, comedy friends. And uh, and we were in Vegas and we were sitting at the bar. It was uh, Henriette Mantel. I was on one side, myself and this other girl. And Henriette goes, why don't we get married while we're here? I said, I'm not marrying you. And so this other girl that was sitting, she goes, why don't you marry me? I said, I'll marry you. So I, we. You just decided. Yep. I said, I go, if I get married, nobody will think I'm gay. And they were what? Were they all just drunk or? We we had some drinks, but we weren't blackout drunk or anything, you know. So I took uh, this girl, and we we got in the cab, and we went down. We went through the drive-in, and we got married. And so now I'm married, and I'm going, oh my god, I'm nobody's going to. I said maybe if I get married, if I get married first, and I get to know her, then it's going to be, you know, it 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 all made sense in my head. (laughs) That must have been the cocaine. No, I wasn't doing any of that. No, so you just. So I was just trying to protect myself. And she so, was on board? And I, w- I was 39 at the time. And she was on board? This girl, uh, she, you know, I'll call her Jeannie, Jeannie Meany. She, uh, and she's happily married now, and uh, although I haven't seen her since the marriage was annulled by Roseanne Barr's uh, lawyer. You know, I got a good lawyer. <laughs> and she, could, she got half of everything I earned that day that we were married, you know. So I, I, I did a voiceover. Just for the day you were married? Yeah, she she got like uh, sixty dollars or something like that. <laughs> but that was it, not that like in, it. not in perpetuity. No. no. Wow, good lawyer. So, but the lawyer cost me like you know ten, twenty thousand dollars, whatever <laughs> it cost me. You know. So you need a divorce. I did get, I did, lo- but divorce I wrote lawyer. a show. I wrote a show called Wedding Vows in Vegas, 
And I did that at the Aspen Comedy Festival, and then I did it at the Harvard Hasty Pudding Theater for a summer. And Steve Martin came to see it and loved it. And it was about, you know, get, basically getting drunk in Vegas and getting married and then having to get, get out of it. But what the show lacked was, uh, you know, throughout the whole play, you see me trying to come out, you know. You know, I play this character when I'm becoming Jeannie, my wife. I'm becoming the minister. I play all these characters that are in this, you know, <coughs> 10-hour adventure that I have in Vegas and getting married and then getting out of it, you know. And if the show would have... The show was really... It was a great show. But the ending was not truthful because at the end, instead of saying, listen, I finally realized, realized who I am. I'm gay. And that's why it didn't work out. I couldn't be honest about that. And oh. I said, I belong in a cage. And a cage came down and just, you know, locked me in the cage. And I, you know, that was the end. Me grabbing on the bars, you know, that I'm in a cage or I'm in a closet. You know, whatever you oh. want to put on that. So it was like confusing to the people that are watching the show. Yeah. Going, I really enjoyed it. It was like, what an adventure this guy went through. Getting married in Vegas and then getting out of it. But, you know, at the end, he just says, uh, you know, I just need, I, 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 I belong in a cage, opposed to telling what, what is. Was the audience like, aren't you just gay? Were the audience like reading into that? Or? It, it just didn't, it didn't come up like that, you know, it didn't. But people also just didn't understand, like, wh where did they, the They liked it, but there was something missing. Yeah. <laughs> the, truth. Was, the, the truth. <laughs> the yeah, truth. Yeah, there was something just missing. Just the truth, that's all. I, uh. I stood by it, and, you know, it didn't go any further than the summer run in Boston and kind of forgot about it. And then, uh, you know, got uh, back together with Marianne, my, my, uh, this girl that I had dated, you know, previously and went out with her and really liked her, and she was the greatest, you know. But she uh, wore the pants in the family, you know. She was mm. the real bossy. So you married her? Oh, yeah. I, not, this is not the Vegas wife. Right, right, right. This is uh, Marianne. My, I, I dated her a year before I went to Vegas, and uh, then I started dating her again when we, you know, when after I, the annulment. After the and annulment. after the play. Yeah, she came to see the play, oh my God. and she was like, "Oh my God!" You know, <laughs> she didn't get anything. She out went of it? to Harvard. Uh, Marianne went to Harvard. She uh -huh. went to Harvard Business School. She went to Georgetown. Really smart. Smart, but did she didn't get the truth in the story either. Or she wasn't she, looking for that? Or? I don't think she was looking for that. And even if I, I had told her I was, she had asked me a few times while we were married if I ever had a uh, a gay experience. And I was like, no. <laughs> God. You're like, no. <laughs> no. You know, and I remember she goes, have you ever been with a prostitute? Of course not. God. You know, always like, you know, you never want to tell. Your wife or your spouse that you were with a prostitute like or a you gay, were gay, pro a gay prostitute. Know. She has to whatever you yeah. know. So, I would deny everything, but I loved her. I loved Marianne. I still do to this day. She is the greatest. I mean, there's no. You, you, she, you, <laughs> she. I feel like I'm biblical. She bore. She bore you a daughter. Of course, yeah. And you were at what point? Like, what was the point? When you came out, I mean, you I mean, also a lot of gays have. Yeah, kids, yeah, yeah. All yeah. Right? Oh, so, totally. I mean, it's not no, like you can't. That's, no, I have plenty. You of can't have a, a kid. You right, know? right, right. But you knew you were gay. You married her. And then, but I think. But that was my secret. That was nobody else's secret but mine. Right, right. So nobody, nobody in the world knew that I was gay except in my mind. I knew. Right. So I had to make the choice of, okay, who's going to be the best from now? I'm 40. And I, I really want to get married because if I don't get married, people are going to think I'm, I'm gay. Right, right, They're going to think right. I'm a big homo. Right, right. You know, he's single, he's 40, he's, you know, he's had a lot of girlfriends, but, you know, never. Got, so that was always on the, you know, all right. my brothers were married, my sister was married. Everybody had kids. I wanted to have kids. I, I wanted to have what everybody else had. Right. You know, I wanted, you know, and I had, I had a house. I had a car. I had a bank account. I had everything. It was all lined up. You know, now I just needed to find somebody that was that I was compatible with. Right. right. And Marianne was it. Right. She was a smart businesswoman, uh, in show business, but in the business end of it, you know. Right. So uh, you know, and we just got along great. She loved to laugh. I loved to hear her laugh, and we had a lot in common. We were both from 
when she was growing up in Tarrytown, New York, the next door neighbors were the Fitzsimmons family, which was Bob Fitzsimmons, Greg Fitzsimmons' dad, and Pat Fitzsimmons, the mom. And I was waiting on them at the country club right, right. doing impressions, and Marianne was babysitting their kids. Oh, my God. So, uh, and I didn't know this, you know, and, but, you know, years later we met and we found this connection. I was like, wow, this means something. You know, there's, right, a, there's right. a, she me, had a real heart connection. There's a reason yeah. because I loved the Fitzsimmons. They were like the greatest family. You know, I was like, you, you know, you're always jealous of other people's lives. It was like Bob was a big radio announcer, had his own radio show. Pat was his loving wife who just, was the uh, smart as a whip and absolutely gorgeous and beautiful and they had three beautiful children and I wanted to, I wanted to be in that family you know I didn't I took for granted what I had my you know my mom and dad and uh you know Bob was in show business you know right yeah I listened to him on the radio every day you know he worked down at NBC he brought me down to NBC to show me what he did that's how much he loved me wow he goes why don't you come down to the station and you'll sit in on my show, and I'll give you a tour of NBC. Wow. I was like 16 years old, and he did this That'd for blow me. blow your head away. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, that was like my intro to, who gets that? Right, right. So, you know, when finally, you know, I met Marianne, I was like, you know, and Bob had passed away, you know, uh, back in the, in the 90s, I guess. And I, you know, went to the funeral, and, and Greg and I have been, you know, friends, and Pat, and of course, you know, the, everybody in their Deirdre, and, you know, their whole extended family. I mean, I know them, and I love them, and I was like, this is a sign that, you know, so Mary and I, Marianne and I got married, and soon after we had Kate, and it was this, you know, we had a really good marriage, mm. you know, it was... It was really good. It was really solid. We totally loved each other. But then, you know, and I was loved being a dad. I just loved it, yeah. you know, and I still do. But now it's a, you know, it's a different, now she's 16, <laughs> and it's like, what? Ugh. You know, so <laughs> it's just a different. Dad. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So. Uh, but that's normal for any teenagers because right, they hate of course, their parents. But, but, you know, after 9-11, I said that we were living in California, and I said, let's, we should move back to New York. You know, Marianne, her contract was up at Fox International, so she was still being paid, but, you know, didn't have to go to work. Mm. And I said, and I could work anywhere. I said, let's move back to New York so Kate can know her grandparents, even though they would always fly out and everybody, she could see all her cousins and everything. So when we were two, we moved. When she was two, we moved back. Well, Marianne's family was also here, too. So everyone, so it's closer. Okay. So we moved back to New York, bought a house, and I started getting auditions for Broadway. Went in for a number of shows. And then I went in for Hairspray, which I didn't think I was going to get. Marianne would be go, let's go see Hairspray tonight before your audition. I just bought tickets. And I go, no, I don't want to. I don't have to see the show. No, we're going. You know, she was always. Wow. This is what we have to do in order for you to get the job. Right, right. You know, very do supportive and do your, and, uh, do your homework. And uh, so we went to see the show. I go, I can't. There's no way I'm gonna be Harvey Firestein. You know, come on. <laughs> you know, this is not. This is not gonna happen. You know. So I went in, and I auditioned, and I was offered the uh, show up in Toronto. The new company, but not but as the male authority figure, which is like five different characters right, right, right. throughout the yeah, yeah. you know in the show, and to understudy Edna and to understudy Wilbur, the mom and dad. Yeah. So I went up there, and I'd never really been in a big production like that, so I didn't know. But so I had to kind of learn, you know, everything, you know, uh, you know, up there on the Toronto stage. And then when that show closed, they asked me to join the Broadway cast. Wow. But. As soon as I joined the Broadway cast, I, I there were everybody that was there. I just fell in love with everybody there, and everybody was gay. Oh my god! And it was just kind of just got me going again. You know, oh, no. so you're even though I still always had these feelings. Now that I'm a dad and I'm married, and you know I'm involved in the church and everything. You know, oh my god! I, uh, so you were in the middle of like this unicorn universe. And you know, as the years went by, I just started getting more courage, and I kept talking to. 
you know, my friend, uh, one of my friends there at the show, he was my neighbor. We had dressing rooms next to each other. And he was like, well, there's no big deal. Just, you know, you can you can come out. And this is <laughs> so this was like around Brokeback Mountain time. OK, you know? OK. So it's all Brokeback Mountain. You know, it's right. like, you everyone's know, this, like, be free. This post Brokeback Mountain world that we live in now. <laughs> I decided to come out. So I came out to everybody in the cast. I came out to my family. I came out to friends and it was liberating, you know. Oh my god! And then I finally had. Wait, a came out to family, but wait, did you come out to? No, did not ah! come out to Marianne. So except for your immediate family, like right. Your, your <laughs> so now I had to, but I didn't want to break that news to her until after Christmas. Oh. So I said, you know, it's that time be, 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 after New Year's Eve and before Valentine's Day, you have that window where you can break <laughs> up. You know, you don't want to make it too close to Valentine's Day. You don't want to make it too close to. Oh, New Year's. When so is, there's never a good time. No, there's not. But you try to make a good time <laughs> for it, you know. Head. So I, so finally, I, you know, I came clean to Marianne, and it was, it was, it was great for her because she was. She, there, there was definitely something wrong with the marriage. I mean, you know, we just weren't the way we were, you know, and it was because of all these things that were happening to me, you know, and to happening to her career-wise also. So we had this big mansion that we lived in in Tarrytown. We could hardly afford it. You know, it was like, uh, you know, the Broadway salary, even though it was great, you know, still wasn't enough to pay for everything there at the house on Beach Lane. So uh, we, you know, I, I told her and she was like relieved that it wasn't another woman. You know, and it wasn't another man either. It was just like, this is what I wanted to, you know, I finally realized that, who you are i'm now in this family of gays and i was like i was eating it up i loved it right right and you I felt was, free yeah i was like my god this is you know if i wasn't put into this situation being in in a broadway show does broadway make you gay yes it does <laughs> and well, for hairs hairspray will <laughs> and you know any show even if you go see a show you can become you can go in straight and walk out gay uh, I'm just warning people. You know, even about Rocky, that. Rocky, yeah, anything. Rocky yeah. would Rocky make you. is gay, 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 gay. <laughs> so uh, I just got got into that world, and I really loved it. And I said, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna start my life over. And I kind of gave up everything. Wow. And I was 50 at the time, so it's been uh, about nine years now. Wow. That I've been out, and I kind of started over again because I lost everything. Right. You know. Right. I didn't lose my daughter and i didn't lose marianne i lost a lot of other things marianne always for the first year it was really tough for both of us because we both not that we hated each other but we just didn't want to deal with each other right and she was angry her family was angry at me my family supported me her family supported her what did your parents say that we told you they were the best you were gay my dad goes are we gonna have a party you know (laughs) and uh my and my mom was everybody in my family was really supportive uh, especially my mom and dad. Wow. And, uh, but they, they, they didn't say we told you so. They sort just... of they did. You know, they Cause they uh, told you when you were like a kid. They they knew, you know, as I do this in my act, uh, they say. Uh, I said, Mom, did you ever think I was gay when I was growing up? Well, you were always answering the door. <laughs> and, you know, which makes no sense. <laughs> but understand. but it's funny. It's a funny line. So. uh they, my mom always do, and my dad probably knew too, but mothers know, right? And but right. but as the year, you know, as a year went by and two years went by, Marianne started to laugh again, and we started having this great relationship, you know, with uh, with my ex-wife. You know, we became good friends again. I'm going over to London. That's where she lives now. She's working for a media company. She's heading up this project in London. She had to move over there. So Kate and I are going there for Christmas. Oh. So we'll all be together as a family. So it's just, you know, all, it's a real modern family. Right, you know? right. So uh, so I'm I'm really happy, if, you know, that it's come full, full circle and we can have, yeah. you know, a beautiful, healthy relationship. Right, you and know? You, you, your own kingdoms, your own world, but yeah. still have... And she's you know. gone on to become hugely successful in her business. Kate is smart as a whip. 
Right. You know, right. she's in a uh, private school, you know, boarding school, which I'm not a big fan of, but, you know, I want to pick her up after school every day and I want to, you know, I want to make her dinner and, and breakfast. She, and she's and, like, dad, you know, but carbs. boarding school, I mean, <laughs> she's becoming a young lady, you right. know, so right. it's, uh, it's difficult to, to have to, you know, you don't want them to grow up, you know, you know, because they're, they're always your little girl or your little boy, you know, so. Right. So, but it's inevitable that they get older and you get weaker and you <laughs> get hunchbacked and you die, <laughs> you know, so. Oh, that's so beautiful. It, well, the hunchback part, maybe. Well, it's a musical. You can have a musical. Yeah. Then you all become a hunchback and become gay. <laughs> that's right, yeah. <laughs> Kevin, this has been amazing. This has been, oh my God, we're, we're just past... We're just past the hour. Oh my God! Can you believe that? It went by so fast. It went by so quickly. You know, uh, Kevin, I just want to say thank you so much for joining You're me. You're very welcome. We thank you yet. for having me on your program. And uh, for more information on Kevin Meany or future guests, please go to wtypod.com. That's wtypod.com. I'm Rich Kamko here with Kevin Meany. Thank you so much. Bing, bing, bing. Zoom, zoom, zoom. It's a comedy journey. 